Hey there. Lucky you. It's time for another Nonfiction Minute podcast. And this is your nonfiction uncle, Jan Adkins, the Explainer General, bringing you a humdinger collection of minutes about sky watching. The first coming at you is from our nonfictionista Alexandra Sai about the father of meteorology, Luke Skywatcher. I'm Alexandra Sai, the science nonfictionista. Luke Skywatcher. A long time ago, in a land far, far away, the climate suddenly changes. It's May, and a great fog appears in the sky. During the day, it blocks out the sun and acts like a blanket, trapping heat near the ground. A ten-year-old boy notices that temperatures spike and sunsets are a spectacular display of colors. He doesn't know that volcanoes in the Ring of Fire are spewing ash into the atmosphere, creating massive clouds and causing the strange weather. All he knows is that he can't take his eyes off the sky. The boy's name is Luke Howard. The year is 1783, and his location is the English countryside. Luke records his observations in a journal. Although he doesn't know it yet, he is on his way to becoming the father of meteorology. Flash forward 20 years. It's 1803, and Luke Howard is a successful businessman. But in his spare time, ever since the summer of 1873, he's been watching the clouds and thinking up new ideas about the weather. He writes and publishes a scientific paper and presents his ideas to a group of fellow amateur scientists. His article, On the Modification of Clouds and on the Principles of Their Production, Suspension, and Destruction, classifies clouds into groups using Latin words heaped, cumulus, layered, stratus, fibrous, cirrus, and rain, nimbus. By combining terms into names such as cirrocumulus, which he describes as small, well-defined, roundish masses in close horizontal arrangement, Luke identifies many kinds of clouds. Luke's passion for clouds inspires him to make watercolor sketches and write a book called The Climate of London, which introduces new ideas about lightning and the causes of rain. In 1864, Luke Howard dies at the age of 92, leaving behind a cloud naming system that is still used today. A long time ago in a land far, far away, Luke Howard names the clouds. And in our imagination, we see him turning to a friend and saying, may the clouds be with you. The next minute is from true adventure storyteller Mary Kay Carson. Orville and Wilbur Wright began their tinkering career building bicycles. Mary Kay tells us why building bikes helped the Wright brothers invent the airplane. How did building bikes help the Wright brothers invent the airplane? This is Mary Kay Carson for the Nonfiction Minute. As any paper airplane pilot knows, getting into the air and staying up in the air are two different things. An out-of-control, unstable paper airplane quickly ends up on the floor, no matter how powerfully you threw it. 
controlling an airplane was the problem yet to be solved in the late 1890s. Many of the inventors racing to be the first to build a powered flying machine didn't understand that controlling an airplane is different from controlling other vehicles of the time, but the Wright brothers did. Unlike a car or boat, an airplane moves in three directions, pitch, yaw, and roll. Stable flight takes correctly controlling all three. When you steer a boat, you move a rudder to go left or right. This is yaw. Turn a rudder on its side and you get an elevator, which controls a submarine as it dives and surfaces. This is pitch. Airplanes also have elevators and rudders. But flying takes more than up-down and right-left control. An airplane also tilts side-to-side in a motion called roll. Think of a jet tilting its wings as it changes direction, or a little kid zooming around with tilted arms spread wide. Controlling the role of an airplane was the secret to stable, sustained flight. And this is where the Wright brothers had an edge. They built bicycles. A bicycle is an unstable vehicle when it isn't moving. In fact, it falls over. A moving bicycle is much easier to balance than a stopped one. And steering a moving bicycle is more than just turning the handlebars right or left. The rider must lean into turns, tilting his body to keep balanced. Sound familiar? It's the same kind of motion as roll. Orville and Wilbur Wright knew about roll and worked on a way to control it, even while experimenting with gliders. They controlled roll through wing warping, a system of cables attached to the wings that twisted their shape, like twisting an empty aluminum foil box. The pilot controlled which way the wings warped by moving his hips as he lay on the airplane in a kind of cradle. Soon, ailerons, those flaps on the back side of airplane wings, became the controller of roll. But the brothers of the Wright Cycle Company figured it out and flew first. Now comes a minute from our own nonfiction wrangler, Vicki Cobb, who tells us how and why otherwise sane meteorologists fly airplanes into the eyes of hurricanes. <laughs> Flying into the eye of a storm. This is Vicki Cobb. Dr. Hugh Willoughby of Florida International University was one of the first meteorologists to ever fly into the eye of a hurricane. Now the job is done by the Hurricane Hunters, a team of pilots, navigators, and meteorologists who fly into these dangerous storms to help keep us safe. Here's what I learned when I interviewed Hugh Willoughby. What is a hurricane eye? Hurricanes are circular storms, so the wind blows around in a circle. The eye is the center of a hurricane. If a circular storm doesn't have an eye, it is not a hurricane. It's a tropical storm. The eye is surrounded by a ring of clouds called the eye wall. Within the eye, there is a calm area that is cloudless all the way up to space. The winds are strongest just at the inner edge of the eye wall, which is composed of violent thunderstorms with strong updrafts and downdrafts. 
The hurricane pinwheels out from the eye wall as spiral bands of wind and rain which stretch for miles. When a hurricane's eye passes over land, the storm suddenly stops and the sun comes out. But the relief is short-lived as the other side of the storm soon slams into the area. How do hurricane hunters help us? Hurricane hunters fly into the eye of hurricanes that are heading towards our shores to help predict where the storm will make landfall. On every mission, they must find the center of the storm at least twice and at most four times over a period of several hours because the change in position of the center of the eye tells us the direction the storm is moving and how fast it is moving. They also drop packages called drop sons that contain measuring instruments for air pressure, humidity, and wind speed at the eye wall. These measurements tell us the destructive power of the storm or its category. During a hurricane season from June 1st to November 30th, the hurricane hunters and their fleet of 10 airplanes can get data on three storms twice a day. So flying into a hurricane's eye is pretty routine for them. Is it dangerous? The planes can easily handle changes in air pressure and wind speeds that create bumps, and it can be pretty bumpy going through the eye wall. But in more than 60 years, there have been only four accidents. All on board agree that the view of the eye wall from inside the eye is worth it. The plane has transported them inside nature's most magnificent amphitheater. That wraps it up for this podcast, gang. And a tidy bundle of amazement it was. This is Jan Adkins, the Explainer General, hoping to catch you next time. But for now, we are off and away.